Thank you, Kevin. Well, good morning again, everyone. Good to see you. And uh, that was fun. Uh, I want to begin today by talking about the Trinity, uh, the Trinity, the three persons of the Godhead, the three persons of the Godhead are God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And if you examine the three persons of the Trinity, you realize that although God is one, he is three in one. And so when we look at that, what we see is that God is in community. That is, God is in relationship with himself. Did you follow that? That is that God exists. He doesn't, he doesn't need you and I in order to have relationship, in order to have some sort of external connection with others. He has that relationship even within himself. So in the beginning, before there was anything, there was God, and God was in community. It wasn't like God was some single, solo, no relationship, no community, but within the Godhead itself, there is relationship. There is community. And because of that, when we read over in Genesis chapter 1, we discover that we are formed in the image of God, that is in the likeness of God. And so we have some of the qualities, some of the characteristics of God. And part of our, our being in the likeness of God is that we have this innate need for one another, that we have this desire that's been written into our DNA that we're not just to live on an island all by ourselves, completely separated in solitude from the rest of humanity, but rather that we need other people in our lives. We, just like the Godhead, need community. We need relationships. And so that's what I want to talk about to you today. Um, a couple of scriptures, Angela read one of those, some of the one another's that we find in scripture. First Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12 says, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. So here Paul is reinforcing this idea, um, capturing the idea that we need community. Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, love one another um, with brotherly affection. Outdo who? Outdo one another in showing honor. Ephesians 4 and verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 3 and verse 13, bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Galatians 6 and verse 2, bear one another's burdens. And then finally, James chapter 5 and verse 9, do not grumble against one another. So the scriptures all through the New Testament and Old Testament remind us of this fact that we are in community with one another, that we need one another, that we need relationships with other uh, people. So again, that's what we want to talk about today. Um, how we are formed for community, and how we are meant to do life together. Our scripture comes from Acts chapter 20. If you have your, your Bible, you can flip over there or follow with us on the screen. Acts chapter 20, we'll be reading verses 36 through 38. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word out of respect and out of recognition that this is where truth comes from, amen? This is where it comes from, right here, right? doesn't matter what somebody told you at work, doesn't matter what you wrote, heard on the radio or saw on TV or, um, or, or heard on the record player at night. Uh, while you were, I don't know if anybody watched that debate or not, but in any case, um, but so what matters is what God thinks, and we don't have to wonder what God thinks. He wrote it down for us. Acts chapter 20, let's begin reading at verse 36. It says, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. You may be seated. Thank you so much. I want to kind of give you a little bit of background on what's going on in this text. Last week, we were actually in Acts chapter 20, and Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders. He's invited them down to this little uh, shore city of Miletus, Miletus, 
I think I did that last week too, so Miletus. And so the, this little shore area where Paul has landed and he's on his third missionary journey, he's about ready to head to Jerusalem. He anticipates when he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested. More than likely, this will be the last and final time that Paul's arrested. He anticipates that he's going to be put on trial and that his life will be taken. And so he shares this with these Ephesian elders. Um, and so we see this kind of sad goodbye taking place here at the end of chapter 20. So let's kind of walk through these verses together, beginning at verse 36. It says, And when Paul had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with the Ephesian elders. Now notice that this is the last time that these Ephesian elders are thinking that very likely that we're going to get to see the Apostle Paul. This is the last time we're going to get to be in his presence. This is the last time we're going to be able to share stories together. And notice that they didn't go down to the saloon and drink away their last time with the Apostle Paul. They didn't go out to some restaurant somewhere and eat away their last time with the Apostle Paul. It's interesting to me that they knelt down, they got on their knees, and they prayed away their last encounter with the Apostle Paul. Look at verse 37. It says, and after they finished praying, there was much weeping on the part of all. These are grown men having a cry fest. I mean, snot's running, eyes are all puffy, uh, and, and they're all just falling all over one another and hugging and crying. And we begins to think to ourselves, you know, what's going on here? Because it says that they embraced Paul. It literally means they clung to his neck. They kissed him. This is a Middle Eastern culture kind of a thing. Not something we do here in the United States. Don't expect me to kiss you on your way out of church today. Uh, verse 38, it says, But what broke their heart the most, what really tore them up on the inside, was because of the word that Paul had spoken to them, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him, it says, to the ship. So they walked him on out, watched him walk up on the plank, and then watched that ship sail off into the distance. So here's what's happening. There's this group of men who are out here on the beach. And again, these grown group of men are having a cry fest. They're slobbering all over one another. They're crying over one another. Um, and I'm reading this, and I'm thinking to myself, perhaps they don't want anybody to see this. I mean, this, is, this should be a little bit embarrassing for them, right? This should be something that's a little bit unusual. Um, and I want to tell them, guys, don't you think maybe you ought to get a hold of yourself here? Um, don't you think you ought to pull it together a little bit? Uh, versus, you don't want anybody to see this, this public display here? Um, so why the big cry fest? Why are they so emotional? Again, the text tells us, verse 38, it says that they would not see Paul's face again. You see, Paul had told these guys that he had a gut feeling that when he went to Jerusalem, this was going to be the, he was going to be arrested, that he more than likely was going to be um, put in prison, and then eventually um, his life would be ended. And so they're realizing the finality of this goodbye, that this is a final goodbye. We're, we're never going to see you again, Paul. And not only that, we know what you're getting ready to go and endure. And so to add to that, they loved the apostle Paul dearly. Paul was not just some traveling evangelist who had come through downtown, preached a couple of sermons, and then took the first flight out. Paul had labored alongside them. He had lived in their community. He had helped plant their own church. He had stayed in their homes. He had visited them in their homes. He knew the names of their children. Um, he had prayed with them. He had discipled them. And because of that, Paul meant so much to them. And there was a deep bond that had forged between these men and the Apostle Paul. Paul cared deeply for them, and they for him. So this idea that they would never see him again, well, that just broke everyone's heart. And um, end of verse 38, it says, so they accompanied him to the ship. Now, the, one more verse here for you, Acts chapter 21 and verse 1. It's the next verse that comes in this sequence of events. It says that when we had parted from them, in the NIV it literally says, when we had torn ourselves away from them. In the Greek, that word that's translated as torn literally means that you're tearing a piece of cloth in half. It means like you're tearing a door off of the hinges. It's this idea that they were so emotionally 
uh, spent, so emotionally engaged, so so uh, uh, pressed by these feelings that they were having of sorrow, of missing the Apostle Paul, that they literally had to tear themselves away from the Apostle Paul so that he could go on his way. The Bible wants for us to understand the kind of emotional connection that these men had with the Apostle Paul. He was their true friend. Okay, well, that's our text for today, and so that's what brings us to the point where we want to ask the question that we ask every week around here, what difference does all this make to my life? Say, Gordon, I understand that the Apostle Paul had friends, probably had a lot of friends. I got plenty of friends, but I mean, what difference does that make to me? How does that help me out in my life? Well, that's a really great question. I want to spend a little bit of time um, answering that. Um, the, uh, when you think about, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul and the kind of relationship that he had with these Ephesian elders, clearly this was a really close bond. Clearly these were people who really loved one another. And you and I would be blessed if we had two or three or four friends like this over the course of a lifetime. And some of you do have friends like this. And you can think back over your life and you can think about friends that you knew from college or friends that you remember that you grew up with, friends that you have now, people throughout your life that have had this kind of a forged bond with you. And so that makes us a very blessed man and a very blessed Woman, And so the question for us is, how do we then find a friend like this? If we don't have a friend like this, or we want to have more friends like this, how do we find friends like this? And also, how can we be a friend like this? So what I'd like to do is just to give you four traits or four marks of what a true friend is. And we're going to take a look at the life of the Apostle Paul and how he lived out his life. And so we'll kind of unpack um, him a little bit, and we'll see the marks of a true friend. Number, number one. A true friend, number one, serves his friends unselfishly. A true friend's greatest desire is to serve you. Nothing that you need is ever, to do, is ever too much for them to do. And this is precisely the kind of friend that the Apostle Paul was to these Ephesian elders. Take a look at the passage, Acts chapter 20, verse 31. It reads, therefore, be alert. This is Paul giving them a little speech while they're standing out there on the beach right before he's about ready to leave. And he says, therefore, be on alert. Remember that for three years, I did not cease day or night to admonish every one of you with tears. Verse 33, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Verse 34, you yourselves know that these hands of mine ministered to my own necessities and to those who were with me. Which is to say that the Apostle Paul's only goal in being in Ephesus was to serve these people. The Apostle Paul was not there for his own benefit. The Apostle Paul was not on some sort of a human agenda. He was not trying to build a reputation for himself. The Apostle Paul was there for them. He was there to serve them. How about the Paul in Thessalonica, another town where Paul planted a church? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9. It says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil, how we worked day and night, and that we might not be a financial burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. In other words, Paul is saying, we served you. We cared about you. We were there for your benefit. That's why we were there. You see, folks, everywhere the Apostle Paul went, this is how he treated people. He served them. He poured out his life for their benefit. Everywhere Paul went, he was a friend of those who were around him. He served them unselfishly because he believed that this is what a true friend does. Now, sometimes when a true friend does this for you or I, and it just seems like you know we're in a bad spot or we're in, having some sort of a health crisis or something like that, people reach out to us and people begin to help us in some way, we begin to feel a little bit guilty, right? We begin to think about, this is just too much. It's just too much. I don't know. I, I want to do something to reciprocate. I want to do something for you. But let me give you a little bit of advice in a situation like that. Number one, be blessed that you have a true friend like that. 
somebody that's willing to see the needs that are going on in your life and wants to do something to help lift that burden. And the second thing is, just say thank you. They're not looking for you to reciprocate. They're not looking for you to, 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 to uh, even the scales. That person is just wanting to help you because they want to help you, because they're a true friend. So we just need to be thankful that we have people like that in our life. When it comes to true friendship, nobody is keeping score. A true friend serves you unselfishly and undeservedly, and that's the kind of friend that God wants for you and I to be to others. Second mark of a true friend, number two, is that a true friend will tell you the truth even when you don't want to hear it. Hmm. Paul wrote to the Galatians, Galatians chapter 4 and verse 16, he says, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? See, the Galatian believers were being drawn away into theological error, and Paul loved them enough to tell them the truth. It's pretty obvious that they didn't want to hear the truth. Right? They, they, they thought, Paul's just trying to aggravate us. Paul's just trying to stir things up. Paul's being antagonistic here. But Paul says, hey, look, that's not my goal here. My goal is to save you. My goal is to correct this error that's going on in your life. Paul understands that a true friend will tell you the truth whether you want to hear it or not. That's what true friends do. And this is what the Proverbs were talking about when Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 6. He said, wounds from a friend can be trusted. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. I might not want to hear that from my enemies. I might not want them come speaking to my life, but when it's somebody who has served me unselfishly and who I know is not there because they're trying to prop themselves up, but rather they're there standing in front of me, confronting some issue in my life because they love me, that's a wound that I'll accept. That's a wound that I'll receive. Third mark of a true friend, number three, is loyalty. You know, these Ephesian church leaders had seen Paul display this right there in Acts chapter 19. If you know the story, there's this huge mob that had formed, and they want the Apostle Paul um, in Ephesus. He's been preaching for a while. He's been stirring up a few things in town. He's been teaching something different than what the locals had thought. And so this Christian's stuff is starting to spread, and some of the locals are really upset. They're losing some of their revenue from their idol-making business, and so they want to go and find Paul. They're going to drag him out in the streets. They're going to stone him. They're going to uh, flog him. They're going to do whatever, um, some sort of a public uh, discipline of him, but they can't find Paul, and so the Bible tells us over in Acts chapter 19 that they found a couple of Paul's uh, companions, a couple of his fellow uh, missionaries, a guy named Gaius and another fellow named Aristarchus. Um, they were two friends of Paul. And so when Paul finds out he's off someplace else, when he finds out that this has happened, that this mob has seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul wants to rush out to present himself to the mob and say, don't mess with them, mess with me. I'm the one whom you're looking for. But a couple of Paul's friends hold him back and they restrain Paul and they say, Paul, if you go out there, they're going to rip you to shreds. Paul, don't go out there. Even some of the local um, government officials came to Paul and begged him and said, Paul, don't go out there in front of this mob. They're going to tear you apart. Um, but, and you say, well, why, Paul, knowing that, what was going to happen to him, why would the apostle Paul want to go out there? I mean, if he knows he's going to get ripped to shreds, why would he want to go out in front of this um, crowd of people? Because, the, because Gaius and Aristarchus were his friends. And Paul understood that when you have a friend in trouble, it doesn't matter that you're putting yourself in harm's way. You just do what you got to do. Paul understood that a true friend doesn't talk about you when you're not around. A true friend doesn't stand, rather, a true friend stands with you regardless of the cost. A true friend is willing to suffer personal loss 
A true friend is loyal. Number three, a fourth mark of a true friend. Number four is a true friend loves others unconditionally. Loves others unconditionally. A true friend can see you at your lowest, your ugliest point. A true friend, can ble- you can bleed all over them. You can expose your vul- vulnerabilities to them, and yet they will think none the lesser of you. You don't have to perform a certain way for a true friend to love you. You don't have to meet certain expectations for them to support you. They just do, and that's how the Apostle Paul was. Some of you uh, shared not too many months ago a story of a friend of mine who I went through school with. He's a pastor. Um, his marriage was falling apart. He was having a really difficult time. Um, and so I went up to visit with him. Um, and here he is a pastor, right? And his, everything's supposed to be just perfect in his life. And, um, and he was embarrassed by what was going on. And, I, and, and he was just blown away that I would, took his phone call. He was blown away that I was even more willing to get in the car and drive all the way to eastern Tennessee, four hours, four and a half hours away. <clears throat> but friends, this is what true friends do. We love other people unconditionally. It doesn't mean that we accept everything that's going on in their life. It doesn't mean that we don't speak truth, right? We don't speak truth into their life. Um, but we go and we support them and we love them unconditionally because that's what true friends do. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, I'm telling you, if you do that, if you turn to the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you will find the most truest friend that you could ever find in all of life. The Lord Jesus is all of this. He's unselfish. He's serving. He'll speak truth to you when you don't necessarily want to hear it. He'll do it in a loving way. The Lord Jesus is is unselfish. You're missing out on one of the truest friends that you could ever have. So I'd encourage you today, if you've never made that decision, to make that decision for the Lord Jesus. All right, what do we learn today? Let's summarize. We learned that a true friend is someone who serves others unselfishly. We learned, number two, that a true friend tells others the truth, even when they don't want to hear it. Number three, we learned that a true friend is loyal. Even when we mess up, a true friend remains loyal to you. And fourth and finally, we learned that a true friend loves others unconditionally. Now, to close this thing out, I want to remind us a little bit of what we've covered over the past couple weeks. We learned a couple of weeks ago uh, what maturity is. We defined it as a process, but also as this destination. Paul describes the destination in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The old person that Paul was, he's saying there in that verse, I'm no longer that guy. The guy who used to run around, who was angry all the time, who was impatient all the time. Um, my nature has changed. My character has shifted toward becoming like Christ. And this was a process, right? But eventually, the Apostle Paul became mature. So maturity is both the process that the Apostle Paul was on, but then he finally, one day, arrived at Galatians 2.20, I no longer live, but Christ, Christ likeness, has now taken over me. And then he goes on to say what Christ likeness is in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. He says it looks like love, joy, peace. Need a little bit more patience? Paul did. He says, I've become that. Need a little bit more self-control. Need a little bit more gentleness. Need a little bit more kindness. Paul says, this is what maturity looks like. It looks like Christ-likeness, and Christ-likeness looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control operating in your life. Um, got a slide here for you. Maybe you all have already seen it. And it shows these fruits of the Spirit 
from Galatians chapter 5. Um, and this is kind of what Paul's saying. Hey, look, I was trying to be a good person. I was trying to do all the things that I thought were right. He said, but in reality, what God's taking me to, where God is leading me, is not that I become the perfect church Christian, right, who, d- who knows how to stand up and sit down and sing all the songs. Um, what God's leading me toward is to become something like himself. Take on Christ-likeness. Have the same kind of love that Jesus had. Have the same kind of joy that bubbled up in Jesus. Just that naturally is innately inside of me. That is that Christ transforms me, makes me into something new. One of the ways that we move toward that, we talked last week about total surrender, about giving our life over to Christ, about letting go of the wheel, about letting go of the reins, about letting the Lord Jesus have control of our life. But also one of the ways that we move closer and closer toward maturity is by being in community with other Christians. As the scriptures say, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And uh, we've got lots of opportunities for you around here at our church to be in community, to be in relationship, just like the Godhead is in relationship, to be in relationship with one another, sharpening one another. Um, Here's a slide that shows you a couple of our home groups that are going to be taking place starting today, running through uh, late October. It's six weeks on October the 17th, which is fall break week. Uh, which means some of y'all will be heading toward other places, heading south, heading toward the mountains, heading toward, the, toward Disney or wherever you might go. But for those of us that are still here, we're inviting you and your small group to bring your kids here to the church on that Sunday evening on October the 17th. We're going to watch your kids here at the church, and we're going to ask you and your small group from the, your home group to go on out, go out to dinner, go enjoy being together with, with other believers. And the other five of those six weeks, you're going to be meeting in the homes of these people who are listed here. I'm going to ask if they would. We're just going to let you stand up, plop back down. Those of you who are listed on this, on this sheet here, if you would stand up, we'll know who they are. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, we'll let them step back down. Um, and these are folks that are hosting other people to come to their house over the next six weeks, or the next five weeks, plus the, the restaurant day, right? I love the restaurant day. Probably have great attendance for that one, right? Hadn't even seen you the last four weeks, but... Um, <laughs> We would welcome you nonetheless. Um, But this is just one opportunity of many opportunities around our church family where you can connect in relationship with other believers. I've got another slide here for you that shows a whole bunch of other stuff that's going on around our church. Things like Sunday school, things like our Wednesday night um, Bible studies, things like accountability groups. There's a group of ladies that meet at 6 o'clock right down the road at the John Oliver Michael House every Wednesday evening. There's a group of men that meet every Sunday morning here at the church at 7 a.m. They've been doing it for years. For years, they meet for accountability, and they would love to have you be a part of that. We've got guys that meet for breakfast at Waffle House on Thursday mornings. You can be a part of that. We've got ladies' groups that meet, the Share Life group that meets once a month. They get together and just go out to eat. We've got uh, men's, prayer, men's breakfast. We've got ladies' breakfast that was happening this morning. That's probably why some of y'all's eyelids are getting a little bit heavy. We've got all kinds of opportunities for you to plug in and be known. So my challenge to you today as I wrap this thing up, it's whether it's being a part of a home group over the next couple of weeks or being a part of Wednesday night study or Sunday school class or a, la- or a ladies' breakfast, make sure that you're plugged in relationship here at Hebrew Christian Church. As iron sharpens iron, so one man or woman sharpens another. It's part of the process toward us becoming Christ-like. Let's bow our heads together.
Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for speaking to us from your word today. We thank you for the life of the Apostle Paul and how he lived it in a way that was exemplary, a way, Lord, that we can model our own lives after. And as he said, Lord, do as or follow me as I follow Christ. Lord, ultimately, you are the example. We need, our mothers need more love, joy, peace. Our fathers need more patience, gentleness, kindness. At work, God, we need more self-control. We need more of you in us. And it's not some mystical riddle that we have to unlock to get to becoming more and more like you. It's just doing the simple stuff together, doing life together. Well, we ask that... uh, If there's those here today who don't know you, who have never put their faith and their trust in you, that in these quiet moments today, they would bow their heads, close their eyes, and invite you to become their Lord and their Savior. Lord, for others of us, we know that we're disconnected from the church family. We're here, we're here on Sunday morning, but really not known. And so, God, may we be willing to take the next step, showing up on a Sunday morning for breakfast, to eat with a big group of men and just enjoy a time of fellowship and sharing and a mutual encouragement. God, wherever we need to be challenged this morning, may we be willing to answer the call. We thank you for this time. We commit it to you. In Christ's holy name, amen.